0: Hello, and welcome to The Premise. I'm Jennifer Thompson. Today I'm excited to bring you an interview that I conducted a few weeks back with an author who was brought to us via Zoom from Warwick's Books in La Jolla. Enjoy. Hi, Charles. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Jen? I'm really good. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. I know everyone's excited to hear a little bit more about this book. I want to read your bio to our uh, viewers. And this is the book. Fabulous. The Day Lincoln Lost. Charles Rosenberg is the author of the trial and execution of the traitor George Washington, as well as the legal thriller Death on a high floor and its sequels. The credited legal consultant to the TV show, LA Law, Boston Legal, The Practice and The Paper Chase. He was also one of two on-air legal analysts for e-television's coverage of the OJ Simpson criminal and civil trials. He teaches us. He teaches as an adjunct law professor at Loyola Law School and he has taught at UCLA, Pepperdine, and Southwestern Law Schools. He practices law in the Los Angeles area and is a graduate of Harvard Law School and Antioch College where he majored in history. Let's talk about history. But now yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of history to talk about. Now yeah. Please apologize to your wife for this question, but can you still recite Longfellow's The Midnight Ride of Paul Revere?
1: <laughs> I should tell you, she's in the back of the room and is laughing.
0: Because she's forbidden
1: me to do it.
0: <laughs> Has she? <laughs> yeah. So this tells me that you can still, in fact, recite it.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. On the, on the 18th of April in 75, hardly a man is now alive. Who remembers that famous day and year and he said to his friend if the british march from or sea to the t- from the town tonight hang a lantern aloft in the belfry arch of the north church towers signal light etc that's My awesome fifth grade teacher made me memorize it
0: <laughs> i think it's incredible what we what we remember from grade it school it is i remember the, the first, first and last boggling. names what's that
1: even the worst kind of doggerel sticks in your brain. <laughs>
0: so, oh, totally. Right. Yeah. So so your your love of history started very young. It did.
1: It did. For sure.
0: I, I'm curious when you, you you studied the revolution primarily, I believe, in college.
1: Well, I when studied you, American history, but the revolution okay. is part of it Yeah
0: a big part of it. And I guess my question is, when did you realize that you would someday reimagine history or, you know, write (laughs) thrilling novels about what
1: could have been? Um, I don't think it was all that long ago, really. Um, I've always been fascinated by what I call the what if question, you know, like, Mm -hmm. what if some small thing changed? You know, there's that old piece of, um, I guess I'll call it doggerel for lack of a nail the shoe was lost for lack of a shoe the horse was lost etc where until finally the kingdom's lost right yeah, and yeah. i've always been fascinated by how little things can change things for example if you take the uh, 2016 election whether you liked hillary clinton or didn't like her or voted for her or didn't vote for her, um who would have predicted two years before when she was widely expected to win that the events in baghazi which are a tragedy for the people there. But I think when the diplomatic history of the United States is written, it's not going to be a big chapter or that yeah. she mismanaged her email account was going to contribute to her losing the presidency. Mm-hmm. So I was fascinated by that. And, and when, when I read a little article somewhere about the fact that there'd been a plot to kidnap Washington, I thought to myself, what if it had succeeded? Yeah. And it was, that was about, I guess I had that thought about 20 years ago now. So.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. And, and, and that book, which you're referring to, tr- um, The Trial and Execution of the Traitor George Washington, did that come out in 2018? Is that right?
1: Yes. It took, two years me, ago? took me 18 years to actually write it. <laughs> so.
0: Well, I mean, my gosh, the amount of history that went in to this book. I can only imagine that it would take a long time just to bring all the pieces together. And, you know, I'm fascinated. I mean, you must have so much fun researching these uh, these characters, you know, because not only are you writing facts, but you're developing relationships. And I mean, I think that's one of the things you're really known for is character development and relationships. But it happens to be placed in our history with small changes.
1: Well, with I'm- small changes that have big consequences sometimes.
0: Yeah. Right, right. Sometimes. Yeah. How much fun is that?
1: Perfect fun. You know, you can just sit there and imagine what would have happened. And and once you get over the fear of putting words in the mouth of someone like George Washington or Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. then you can have a great great deal of fun with it. But frankly, there's a bit of fear in doing that for this first time because they're well known characters. And if sure. you get it wrong, uh, people are going to notice. I mean, I don't know if anybody really knows what George Washington was truly like, or most people anyway, but they have, they believe they do. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, and Lincoln is even more so because we've heard so many of his speeches and words and so forth. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, uh, it's a bit intimidating to, uh, to give it a try. But once you get rolling on it, then it's okay.
0: I I can imagine. You really depict Lincoln as this very affable, very easygoing and very funny man. And I'm curious, like how many biographies have you read about Lincoln and how much did you know about Lincoln before you started writing this book?
1: Well, I started uh, the first book I ever read about um, about Lincoln was uh, when I was in grade school there was a series of books called landmark books. Uh, mm. And I read the biography of Lincoln in that landmark book. They were biographies for kids of famous people. And it sort of went on from there. And then in college, I read a lot of Lincoln biographies. And then I read after college what are considered kind of the, the reigning Lincoln works, like David Donald's one volume uh, biography of Lincoln, and a lot of others. And, and for this book in particular, I read some things I'd never read before because I knew a lot about the Civil War, and I knew a lot about Lincoln, but I didn't really know a lot about the election of 1860. Hmm. I think American history is viewed as, and Lincoln won the election, and then we moved on and had a Civil War, but I don't right. think a lot of people know a lot about the election. Like, for example, he had three opponents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So.
0: I learned a lot about the election, yeah. I mean, you know, there's so much that was different back then. And so I found it very fascinating, just all the little facts. And I assume they're facts. I think that's one of the things with historical fiction is the facts have to be true in terms of how things worked. Or is that untrue? Do you, Can you make up stuff to add to your plotline?
1: Yeah, you can make up stuff, but you have to be careful about what you make up. Mm. You know, it has to be plausible what you Got make it. up. And some right. people's plausibility level is different than other people's, you know. So if you write a novel like this and it's read by, let's suppose I was lucky and it was read by a million people, mm-hmm. there would inevitably be a few thousand people who'd say, that's not believable. You know? uh, <laughs> right. And there would yeah. be other people who'd say, Help, hopefully more, gosh, it seems like I'm there, you know.
0: Well, I kept thinking, oh, yeah, this could totally happen. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can't help but relate it to how that could happen today. And, you know, in a lot of the ways around the abolitionists and and people's perceptions and viewpoints and and, you know, not wanting things to change too quickly for fear of what that would happen to the economy. And, you know, so all of those things, I mean, that's a lot to manage and develop a book like this. And and it's it's fairly. Thick book. So yep. how long did it take you to write this book?
1: Hmm. It to actually write it as opposed to researching it, it took on and off about a year.
0: Oh wow. So, okay.
1: Um but you know that included the edit of it because I have a great editor in Peter Joseph at HarperCollins. Mm. And and um it was, you know, it was a pro it's a process, right? So uh, that's sort of it took a year, basically.
0: Well, I'd like to ask you about your process, but first, what what was the impetus for writing this book? I mean, I know for the uh, George Washington book, you had. I'm
1: I'm going to tell you the true story. Okay. Okay,
0: good. <laughs> but I won't tell anyone. I promise. This <laughs> I is just between well, yes. us. <laughs> so I have
1: a great a great agent at Trident Media named Erica Silverman. Okay. Erica's kind of a blunt person. Um, mm. and it had, took me a while to get used to being told what to do. But anyway, um, I joined up with Erica. So I had written uh, the George Washington novel, you know, Trial and Execution, and I was in Erica's office in New York, and she said to me, it had not yet been published, you know, I think this book that you just wrote is really terrific, and I think you've got another alternative history in you somewhere. And I said, you know, I I can't currently think of one. And she said, well, go think of one. (laughs) (laughs) No big deal. (laughs) Uh, Go think of one. So um, my wife could tell you I came home to Los Angeles. I said, well, okay, I gotta think of one. But the truth is I'd always been interested in the Civil War and I, you know, there are a million novels about the Civil War. You could start with, uh, you know, the Red Badge of Courage and move forward to Cold Mountain and so forth. There are probably hundreds of them. Mm -hmm. But I don't think there are really a lot of novels set in the 1850s or in the, the election of 1860. Um, So I thought, well, maybe I'll do something about that. And I I just did what I usually do, which is I was reading a bunch of books about it. And I was reading a book. I think its title was 1860. It was about the politics of 1860, what was going on. And I'm reading along, and um, there's a line in it that says, and there was a meeting, and the famous, famous uh, abolitionist, Abby Kelly, was there. Hmm. And I actually said out loud, Who? Okay? Right, <laughs> because I know a fair amount about about the abolition movement, and I had never ever heard of her. Okay, mm. so I went and looked her up, and it turned out she was a, a person who was seriously famous at the time, who has largely disappeared from popular memory. She was what was referred to as a radical abolitionist. Mm-hmm. Uh, she thought, for example, that the Southern states should just go. Okay, this was yeah. before the Civil War. Yeah. She thought if you belong to a church that didn't believe in, in abolition, you should just leave and go to some other church. She, and, and she was um, – uh, I haven't really adequately described her radical views, but um, she was an abolitionist lecturer when she was 25 years old. She was a Quaker, and she found the way, as they would say. Hmm. And she went out and became a lecturer. She used to go to small towns where people – and talk about the evils of slavery, particularly to women – where mm-hmm. she would tell other women, look, sla- women who are enslaved lose their children, they're sold off, You know, imagine that. Mm-hmm. And people used to throw manure at her okay, or stones and sometimes tried to ban her from coming because she was apparently an incredibly uh, charismatic speaker. Mm-hmm. She founded a couple of abolitionist newspapers. She raised huge amounts of money uh, for the cause. And yeah. so I thought to myself, well, what if she were to come together in some way with Abraham Lincoln? What then, you know, mm-hmm. in Springfield where he lived? And so that was the genesis of the whole thing. It really started with Abby Kelly. She got married, was known <laughs> as Abby Kelly Foster. Um, right. That's what started it all. So it's an accident. She's a f-
0: yeah. She's a fantastic character. I in the in the novel, she's a vegetarian. The right. Sylvester Graham diet is what she ascribed to, which I had never heard of. And for our listeners, he's also the inventor of the graham cracker. Correct. So that's kind of an interesting fact.
1: Oh, yeah. She was almost a vegan as opposed to a vegetarian. Yeah. Okay. He didn't eat meat, so to my understanding. So. I
0: mean, that was kind of a fun tension that you brought into the book. And I won't tell our, our readers why. They'll have to read it for themselves. But it was such like kind of a fun thing. And, of course, I stopped and went, wow, that's really interesting. You know, someone to be a vegan back at that time must have been very difficult for them to find food. And you bring that into the storyline. I do want to talk about tension and how you bring tension into the story in such a way that creates such great pacing. So tell me about your process for bringing in tension. Do you look for facts? Do you stumble upon them? Like, how do you wordsmith the tension into these Political thrillers, really. It's a political
1: thriller. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually it's yeah. And the Washington novel is also a caper, for example.
0: Yeah, um, it totally. Is. It. Um, it's also a court. You're also an attorney, and then yeah. there's a there's a court case in the book as well. So yeah, tell us tell us about the tension.
1: Well, I you know it's really hard to describe that. L- let me tell you the particular tension I wanted to create. Okay. Lincoln awesome. Lincoln was very clear that he was not an abolitionist. Mm-hmm. He didn't frighten people into voting against him. Yeah. Um, but he said slavery was evil and he didn't want it to expand into the territories, uh, the, uh, which hadn't yet become states. And he was, he was walking a very thin line on that. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I wanted to create was a situation where Abby Foster, Abby Kelly Foster, would be accused falsely of causing a riot and prosecuted for it by the Buchanan administration. And she would go to Springfield and give the speech. And then she'd be indicted. And Lincoln would, the, would before, Lincoln would begin to be asked by abolitionists, well, if you're elected, are you going to pardon her? Uh, and you can't she,
0: give it away. Yeah. You're not going to give anything away, are you?
1: No, I don't think. Don't give
0: anything her? away. <laughs> no, are you a partner?
1: And of course, <laughs> other people were saying, if you pardon her, we're not going to vote for you because that shows you're really an abolitionist. Okay? Yeah. So this created a problem for him. And I think the tension in the novel stems from that problem.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's where I was like, this could absolutely happen, you know, yep. where where people come together to create this situation that he has to somehow hopefully get out of. Resolve. And, yeah. yeah and, he, and, and this is hence the thriller part of it. Very well done. Um, thank you. I, yeah. Well, thank you. I, I want to talk to you about... My favorite character, Annabelle Carter. Oh, yes. Now, Annabelle is a very surprising character for the time. You know, women were not allowed to be strong characters, really. So openly, and yet you give Annabelle the stage and a big piece in the book. Talk to us about making that decision and, and you know how how that fit into the time and fit into creating the tension.
1: Right. Well, I read somewhere. That the detective she went to work for, um, who was famous, um, hired women detectives in the 1850s. Really, and I just it was just a little thing that I read. Well, I'm going to come to that, and and <laughs> so I thought, okay, well, why don't I create a woman? I, I wanted to have both strong male characters and strong female characters. And part of the problem with writing novels set in that time period is there were lots of strong women, but they're not necessarily famous as characters in uh, in history. Mm -hmm. And so it seemed to me that she could, uh, help look for the, uh, enslaved girl who had escaped. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then, so I created her and I thought, well, who would she be? She'd be strong. You know, she'd, um, we'd be from the South. She's from a border state plantation. And -hmm. that provides tension too, because she would tell you, I'm an abolitionist, but I don't know exactly how it's going to happen or when. Okay, She was yeah. a washy abolitionist, as many people were. Sure. Uh, and um, so, and then I discovered something after I wrote her character. Hmm. I read more about the women detectives that had been hired, discovered that there was a famous one named Kate Warnie, Okay, And Kate Warney turns out to be very much like the character I created. But I swear in the Bible I never wrote read about Kate Warney before I created the character. Oh so really? Like something about the time that pushed that character into into being, really. You know. Mm, mm-hmm. And uh, and Annabelle was the name of my aunt, uh, my late aunt. I picked it because it was an old fashioned name, which I always thought about with her when I was a kid too. <laughs> like yeah, I had become named Annabelle.
0: Annabelle is a lovely name. And I thought, gosh, what a perfect name for a character in this era. And yeah. there's a little bit of tension to where she doesn't want to be called Annie and everyone wants to call her Annie. So right. I loved how that kind of comes together. And I, I won't say anything more about that, but that was a lot of fun. Well, what about um, what her
1: boyfriend was called by her his mother?
0: Well, exactly. <laughs> like, you just you you have to stop. You're giving right. things away. Right. I want to ask you. I want to ask you a question. And, and yes. it, it, it might seem a, a little. um controversial maybe so there were two okay. scenes in the book that i read and i'm going to read them too if i can one is on page 118 um where Annabel is talking to polly who is the basically the slave who had raised her and polly said is talking about the escaped girl the the escaped slave let her go. Don't go finding her. She has took her own life in her own hands for the first time. Don't be one of them white people always trying to help out. That struck me as interesting. And you see, again, later in the book, we have a similar conversation where someone says, we are all just a lot of white people tr- trying to absolve our national guilt by doing things to supposedly help. So, I, you 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 did it twice, which made me think this is really on your mind. Do you, th- I mean, I know that today there's a whole conversation about it right now with Black Lives Matter, the book White Fragility. And so I wonder, did that come into play as you wrote this book? Because you wrote it, presumably you wrote these words a year ago and then it went through the editing process.
1: Yeah, they were actually, um, it, it was in a long publication queue. So it was actually probably two years ago that I wrote them.
0: Yeah, but- right. So, When you wrote those words, do you think that that back then um, slaves felt that way, that white people were trying to help them when they had no place? Is that what you were trying to say? Or what, what do you think
1: was the, where did that come from? It came from two things, I think. One is it came from reading about the fact that the Underground Railroad was not just run by white people. There were lots of black people doing it and risking their lives to do it. Mm. And that was one thing it came from. The second thing it came from was the realization that these people who escaped took a tremendous risk because they might be killed after they escaped. They might be brought back and whipped, uh, mm. you know. And so they they were very courageous people. And so there was some aspect in which they were taking their life in their own hands. And yet the narratives you read about it are, oh, white people helped them. On the other hand, what really brought this home to me was it wasn't quite so much in an early draft, and my son, who's a millennial, brought it home to me in in our discussions about it. Interesting. He really did. He pushed me. Yeah. And so I did sort of a combination of my own research and his millennial outlook, Mm -hmm. created those scenes.
0: It it felt like sort of merging today's thought you know, with the past, you know, going right. back. Um, so I found, I found it very interesting. It's, this is a very interesting time for your book to be released, too, considering everything that's happening with Black Lives Matter.
1: It is. You know, uh, originally I'd hoped it was going to be released last year, hmm. and then it got delayed, and then the COVID-19 thing came along. But as it turns out, it's being released at a very good time because we have an election coming up just about 160 years, almost exactly after the 1860 election, which was on November 3rd. Mm-hmm. This one's on November 6th.
0: It is very interesting timing. Yeah. yeah. I have a couple more questions, but I hope people read this book. I do think it's a good time. Um, I, it, it, it's important to me that people read more about that time period. I love how many how much you, you brought in the facts. Um, you were very good at teaching. And I know you're also an instructor. A law instructor, are you not? Yep but yep. but you also teach a little bit of history on your website and on Twitter, in fact, you tend to do this really cool thing where you do trivia and then you give the answers.
1: Yeah. Lincoln trivia at the moment. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah, Lincoln trivia. I was like, that's really cool. Like here's the question. Do you know the answer? Here's the answer. So that that was kind of fun. You're, you seem to be a
1: teacher at heart. And my favorite piece of trivia is not in the book, which is Lincoln had a dog named Fido in Springfield. Really? (laughs) Yeah, and Fido has his own Wikipedia page. There's a photo of it.
0: Well, I'm gonna have to go find Fido. Actually, that was one of the answers I saw on Twitter. So the the answer to last week's question is Fido. And I thought, oh, I'm gonna have to go look further into that. Who is your favorite president?
1: My favorite president, wow.
0: Do you have a favorite president? Maybe that's I'm
1: not sure I have a favorite president, although I have to tell you, I'm currently reading Ron Cherno's biography of Grant. Okay. Mm. President I never really knew much about. Mm-hmm. It's a great biography. And it contains the most startling kinds of trivia itself. Um, you know, such as one of the generals in the Confederate Army was the best man at his wedding. Okay. And and my and one of the people who surrendered to him at Appomattox, not Lee. And I thought to myself, Well, Grant's wife was named Julia, and I thought, Well, was there small talk at the surrender? Did he say, How's Julia? you know right <laughs> just read stuff and you go wow yeah so
0: is this is this your next your next book do you think we might see some some reimagined grant history coming from you in the future
1: you might um although I've also toyed with writing a science fiction novel <laughs> so,
0: well that sounds fun too
1: <laughs> yeah you don't have to do any real research for it well that's not true either but you know it's a, it's a different kind of research
0: do you think that's part of the draw is the, the amount of research that, that it takes, you know, to write this kind of a book? Is that part of the draw for you?
1: Of course, because you can feel like you're doing actual work when all <laughs> you're really doing is enjoying yourself reading a book or a magazine <laughs> article. Or, or like <laughs> in, if you go to the Lincoln thing there, I, I finally I wondered, well, who voted for Lincoln? You know, what was the voting analysis? And there wasn't much. Mm. And I finally found a, a, a monograph called Who Voted for Lincoln? Oh, so somebody had gone back and looked at a lot of the precinct returns and so forth. And, you know, like Lincoln didn't carry New York City. He lost it. Okay. Uh, Lincoln barely carried his hometown of Springfield. Right. He lost Sangamon County, which is the county, you know, Springfield's the county seat by a little mm-hmm. bit. So it, it just it just was fascinating to read.
0: So. It is. Well, and I love the fact that, you know, we get to learn so much about history. But it, the other thing is that it asks a lot of questions that make me as someone who is very interested in the presidents and history, want to go and read some more of that. In fact, I did buy that grant book recently. So, oh, yeah, I, I haven't I haven't started it yet. But not I, I'm not sure. It. It's not sure. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I haven't started reading it. No,
1: it's
0: not so is your is your wife in the room with you right now?
1: She is somewhere, I think. Yes, she's sitting on the floor in the back of the room.
0: Okay, well, I, I have a question that relates directly to, to her. So I read somewhere, I think it was on Amazon, maybe, that your wife is the first person who gets to edit your books. She is. And my question is this, uh, uh, is she very kind to you or is she merciless with her red pen?
1: Um, she's basically, um, you want to answer that? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> She's not dressed for this. Okay. I don't know if you can see me. She's on crawling. Oh, on. Okay. I'm here. Um, It goes this way. Chuck, you need to change this part A by doing X,
0: this part B by doing Y, and this part C by doing Z. And he goes, no, I'm finished with this chapter. I don't want to change it. I worked on it
1: for a week. Go away.
0: He comes back an hour later, he's changed A, the way I suggested, he changed B, a much better way than I ever could have thought of, and C, he's kept exactly the same. (laughs) That's the generic way it
1: works. So she's read it kind of chapter by chapter.
0: Having someone on your side to read that before it goes out, that must be helpful. Uh, Is she also a history buff like you? Or is she going mostly for character development, do you think?
1: Um, she, yeah, she is. In fact, she writes um, uh, fake biography novellas, like mm. "My Story" by Helen of Troy. <laughs>
0: mm. so. That's very. That sounds very interesting too. That's a whole another conversation.
1: So she, she's interested in history too, but she's also a mathematician. She taught high school math for many years. So.
0: Very cool. So you're both teachers at heart. Yep. I wanna ask you, we're almost out of time, but I wanna ask you one more question. You're accredited as the legal script consultant to three primetime television shows, LA Law, The Practice, and Boston Legal, as well as the TV show, The Paper Chase. How did you get that gig?
1: Kind of by accident, uh, long ago, I was teaching at at the UCLA Law School as a full-time professor at the time, uh, as a visitor from practice. Mm. And um, I got a call from a friend who, They'd gotten a call from Paper Chase. They were looking for a new consultant. He wasn't interested. And they decided that since I'd gone to law school at Harvard and was a law professor, I would do. At the time, I'd never read a TV script in my whole life. Now I've read hundreds. Wow. Of yeah. It was, it was a total accident, basically.
0: Well, it sounds pretty cool. Was that a lot of fun? Did you enjoy that? It was really, time? It
1: was really great fun. And also, I learned a lot from it because I read a lot of scripts written by people like Stephen Bochco, David Kelly, and a lot of other very talented writers. And so I think from them, I learned a lot about writing dialogue, not so much about writing description because there isn't any in scripts.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I got to say, Charles, thank you so much for having this conversation. It's been so much fun to talk to you. And thank you to your wife for for, um, giving me her answer in person. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for joining us today. This has been a Warwick's sponsored interview. Until next time, stay safe.